Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my lifelong friend, Zach Coffey. In this episode, Zach discusses the importance of music throughout his life and the relationship between music and memory. We next talk about Zach's brother, Ryan, what Ryan means to Zach, his family, and his community, and how Ryan's early passing has impacted Zach. From there, we discuss how Zach's views on death and God have developed over his lifetime. Next, we discuss psychedelics and the persisting stigma associated with these substances. We then discuss romantic relationships and the way societal pressures influence our decisions with our partners. From there, we discuss why stand-up comedy has been an art form that resonates with Zach and the important role comics play in the defense of free speech. We end the conversation discussing the organizations that control the flow of information, issues with the current pharmaceutical paradigm, and why there is not more media coverage regarding the implications of Jeffrey Epstein's crime ring. Outros available for this and all episodes at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Music from the show also available on the Spotify playlist, Entangled the Vibes. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. I am so excited to be joined by my good friend, Zach Coffey. Zach, how are you tonight? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, glad to be here, man. Awesome, man. Well, uh, you know, we've known each other, obviously, Walker. since day one. So, yeah, maybe just, uh, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about your background growing up in uh, Wyoming and all that. Sure. So, born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Obviously, went to high school with you and elementary school, middle school, all that good stuff with you been through a lot with you, but you know, I'm in manufacturing as a career. I enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, I've done some carpentry work, uh, some construction stuff and finally found my, my home and with the company I'm at now. So yeah, man, about ready to get married. Yeah. Moving and grooving. That's crazy, man. Getting married and growing up. Talk to me about that. You ready for it? I've been ready. I've been ready. Yeah. Proposed in July of last year. So it's been a little while. I knew I wanted to marry her for quite some time. So, you know, it's just now the planning and all the fun stuff starts and we're going to get it, get it going. Awesome, man. Well, that's cool. Definitely, uh, definitely dive back into that, but maybe, uh, you know, going back to the early days, talk to me about, you know, what role music has played in your life. It's been huge. Um, it was always, and still is very much just kind of a therapeutic for me. It's kind of, you know, lets me take my mind off of whatever, whether it's good or bad. You know, music, in my opinion, is very transcendent. You know, you can hear a song and be taken back to an exact moment, an exact place, just a memory. And it's just kind of, it's obviously not time travel, but the closest thing that I think we have to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I playing music a lot growing up, started playing guitar in the seventh grade, got really, really into it. I loved it. It was definitely my biggest creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Then in high school, you know, a couple of our, couple of our buddies got together, put a band together, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually played the drums for that band because my house was the only one that had a drum set with my dad being a drummer. So I just kind of had to pick it up, and yeah. but I enjoyed the shit out of it, obviously, you know, and did it for over a decade. Uh, and then, you know, college, we all went our separate ways for a year and then decided we wanted to keep the band going. And, yeah. Uh, we got a house down in 
uh, around UC's campus, um, put a recording studio in it and had a lot of fun. Played a lot of shows around Cincinnati and had the opportunity to open up for some pretty cool people and definitely miss it. Yeah. Definitely miss it. It's definitely one of those things where like I, every year I tell myself, you know, I'm going to get back into playing and it's just, I always, you know, seem to just never get into it for whatever reason, whether it's work, whether it's whatever. But yeah, it's definitely a huge part of my, my life. Would you consider yourself more of a drummer or a guitarist at this point? Man, that's tough. Probably still a guitarist. I mean, I, just because I've been doing it longer, um, you know, both have certain things that I enjoy, obviously, about them. Um, you know, the drumming is, you know, there's different players and there's, you know, players that are hyper technical and then there's players like Steve Jordan who drums for John Mayer. Okay. Um, he also did like some of the Blues Brothers stuff. Mm. And he's not like a super technical guy, but everybody wants to play with him because he's just got great feel. Yeah. And like he just knows where to take the song, where to, you know, his uh, inflection and, you know, just his, his feel for, for music is really, really cool. So I was kind of like that. I wasn't mm -hmm. a very technical guy. Mm. I just enjoyed playing and would play what I thought I would try to take the song where I thought it needed to go. And as a drummer, you kind of have more, you can make more of a difference in that way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, you've got guys like John Mayer that nobody's paying attention to the drummer. <laughs> like, you know, he's up there mounting people's fucking faces. So, uh, you know, the drummer takes a backseat. But, you know, in most instances, you know, I think the drummer can control a lot. Yeah. You know, totally. I still would consider myself more of a guitar player. Mm-hmm. Do you think drumming is more technically challenging overall? I think they're both. I mean, I think drumming is physically more technical. I mean, uh -huh. you've got more moving parts. Uh -huh. You know, you've got to be in control a lot more, obviously. But, I mean, they they both are obviously really, really hard and really technical in different yeah. ways. But drumming, I think, it's. I'm not going to say it's harder. It's obviously, I mean, they're different instruments. It's apples and oranges. Sure. Um, but I think that drumming... I just think with all the different, you know, you got two feet and two arms and you're using them all. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like, <laughs> so, I mean, I think that does present a different set of yeah. challenges, but you know, like I said, it's just a different technicality. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you look at drummers now, like it's ridiculous. I mean, it's insane. Like just how good they are. You mean? Oh God. I mean, it's like they're making these guys in, the, in a factory. So, <laughs> it's insane. You know? Any guys in particular standing out? Luke, ha Luke Holland, uh, Matt, I'm going to blank on all the names now. Drummer uh -huh. from Periphery. Who else? I mean, they're just go on YouTube. I mean, uh -huh. and just like, you know, Matt, uh, Luke Holland, you know, did this cover of a Skrillex song and it was just, that's what put me on him. And I was just like, who the hell is this kid? He was like 20 at the time. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, uh -huh. you know, with YouTube being so prevalent, like, I don't know if it's just sped up their learning process or there's just more access to more information on yeah. how to do things, you know? I mean, I don't know how many people nowadays are like, doing it the way I did where I went once a week and sat down in a room mm -hmm. with a guy that smelled like musty cigarettes <laughs> and like teach me guitar licks that I wanted to learn, yeah. you know, like, so I, I think it's just different now, but it's yeah. just, it's crazy, man. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. They're so talented. I, I think that's definitely a great point you bring up about just like YouTube and like access to education. Yeah. And I think there's also even an element of just like the mental roadblock right of like okay i've seen someone else obviously someone can do it it's like that whole idea of breaking the four minute mile right like yeah. no one thought you could and then one person does it, and then you know a couple of months later like 12 people have done it exactly and it's you know 
obviously there's just, I mean, people learn different ways, you know, what works for you might not work for me. Right. I mean, it's, you got to find out your, what, how do you learn? Yeah. You know, is it sitting down and, you know, reading music? Is it sitting down and watching a video? Yeah. How to do something. Is it, you know, just fucking around and finding out what happens? You know, I mean, it's just, it's very, I mean, it's so individual and I just, I think there's so much access to so much information and, it's creating these monsters and they are monsters. They're <laughs> animals. <laughs> and you were talking earlier about how music can like kind of take you back to a point in time. Yeah. And I love that. Like it, it for me, it, certain songs just like remind me of an experience or mm-hmm. a relationship, right. Yep. Or a time in my life. Totally. Are there any songs that pop out to you that like take you back to something like that? Absolutely. The number one, the first one that comes out or comes to mind is, uh, Orange Sky by Alexi Murdoch. I have this distinct memory of when Ryan was in, my brother was in college down in Louisville. My parents would, I don't know why they would let me go visit him for a weekend, but they would let me go stay with him for the weekend and we'd go out and party. And Remember when we went to the Coldplay show? Yeah, exactly. That was awesome. Yeah, just do, you know, we were 15, 16 year old Mm -hmm. kids doing shit we probably shouldn't have. Um, Story of our high school careers, honestly. That's what big brothers are for. We were driving. It was like, you know, we were all pretty, pretty drunk. I don't, I hope the driver wasn't, I can't remember. Obviously don't do that. It's bad. Um, and we were driving to waffle house of all places at like three in the morning. (laughs) And that song came on and it was the first time I had heard it. And it was just, it just resonated with Uh me for whatever reason. And it's, you know, I've actually got one of the lyrics tattooed on me and it's just, it's one of those things where I, it just takes me back to being on Newburgh Road on the way there, you know, just sitting in the back seat. Yeah. You know, and it's just, like I said, it's that idea of, you know, I hear that song and I'm back in that car. Yeah. You know, and it's, but like you said, it's not just, I mean, it can be a relationship, you know, I can, there's plenty of songs like that for me too. You know, I hear, um, I can't remember the name of the Taylor Swift song, but it was this Taylor Swift song that one of my ex-girlfriends had me make her a mixed CD back yeah. then. CDs were a thing, you know? And, uh, I hear that Taylor Swift song and I'm back at university of Toledo yeah. and I'm in her car and we're driving around and it's just, it's wild. A lot of cars. Yeah. A lot of memories in cars for whatever reason. But, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, what about you? Do you have any songs that jump out at you? Yeah. It's interesting. I was, I was kind of thinking about that as you were going through that. And one that's kind of been that for me lately is a song by the roots called why. Okay. Do you know that song? Yeah. And I think that came out originally like 2003, 2004, and it was about um, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and mm-hmm. how senseless they were and just some of the issues with, I think, there's the power structure of our society today. Yeah. And I've been getting back into some of that time period of rap, like The Roots, Common, Most Def, like yeah. kind of the, those guys really had, I think, a really profound influence on me just totally. as a person overall. And uh re-listening to those lyrics today it it just it kind of makes me think of this whole idea of like the more things change the more they stay the same because mm-hmm. you can you can take exactly what they're talking about in relation to iraq and afghanistan and apply it to what looks like it's around the corner with russia and china and yeah. iran right and it's just like i don't know so anyway yeah that's yeah. That's, that's just something i've been thinking about well, lately. and the lyrics are going to ring different you're obviously a different person than you were in 2003. Yeah. Like you were 13, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously you're going to under, not understand it more, but understand it differently. Yeah. You know, you've had a lot of different experiences. 
since yeah. then. And it's, you know, you're a different person. So it makes sense though. But yeah. What's the lyric you've got from the song? With my brother standing by. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my, uh, it's on my arm and you know, most of my tattoos are either related to him or music or both or both. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's definitely the one that stands out the most. And if you haven't yeah. heard it, go listen to it. Yeah. Cool. I don't think I know the song. It's a great song. Yeah. I'll check it's it super, out. Super good. Super cool. So you mentioned Ryan. Tell us a little bit more about your brother. Yeah. Um, he was four years older than me. He same, you know, born and raised Cincinnati. He was a college, you know, athlete, um, super outgoing dude. One, a person that, you know, would talk to a wall, loved everybody. Yeah, definitely. He loved hard. And unfortunately he passed away in 2012, a brain tumor. And, uh, you know, that's obviously had quite a, an impact on me and my family, but, uh, he was just an all around great dude, you know, yeah. would be friends with anybody. You know, he was a really good big brother and published poet, you know, college athlete, played D&D. He was a total nerd, but could kick my ass in any sport. At the same time, it was incredibly frustrating. So, <laughs> but yeah, he was, I mean, he graduated in your sister's class. Uh-huh. So, you know, they, I don't think they were very close, but, you know, they knew each other. Obviously, mm-hmm. Wyoming's not a big place. Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, miss him a lot. Yeah. Miss him a lot, for sure. Actually, just had the ten year anniversary last week, so that was obviously a uh, challenging day. But you know, got through it. What were some of the challenges you were thinking through that day? I mean, obviously, first and foremost, just how crazy it's been that it's been ten years. How quickly it happened. You know how. For me, it's kind of looking after my mom, making sure that she's okay, and you know, we're trying to keep. You know, we took that day and we went down to Louisville. Uh, visited where he went to school mm-hmm. and went out to a restaurant for dinner that he worked at and just kind of tried to do things that, you know, were Ryan adjacent. Um, and I think that most of my energy was spent focusing on that and making sure that, you know, she's okay. You know, we're not, she's not having too hard of a time. I mean, it's mm-hmm. impossible to have a hard, I mean, there's of course it's, it's, it's a shitty day, but I didn't really think that, you know, until later on in the week that it really hit me, allowed me the time to kind of grieve for myself. I'm always kind of in defense mode, like sheepdogging, trying to make sure everybody's okay. Um, and, you know, I mean, that it hit me hard for sure. You want to talk about it being transported, you know, that day, obviously, you know, I can still smell the way that hospital room smelled. I mean, it's just, it's super visceral, yeah. obviously. Um, and it's just, it's hard. Yeah. You know, it's definitely, definitely hard. Do you want to talk about what that day was like? Um, it was a lot. It was a whirlwind for sure. Um, it was, you know, we took him in uh, on the 11th or 10th because he was having back pain. And when we got in, he, they basically told us he's not going home. That, you know, his brain tumor was in his brain stem. And uh, the way the doctor described it is kind of like, the brain can only hold off. And then once it finally does kind of give, it's like the floodgates open. Yeah. And so he deteriorated pretty quickly. And I was actually, you know, we're up all night. We're, you know, so I was actually in a room across the hall sleeping. And my mom came over and got me and told me, you know, it's time he's going to go. And then we all were in the room. And it's weird to go from, you know, this is, you know, this was my brother. And now it's, what do we do with the body? Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's a weird 
situation. It's just, you know, you start making phone calls to people, letting them know what happened. And then it's the process of planning the funeral, you know, executing what he wanted as far as, you know, his remains and all that good yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, in the moment, it doesn't feel real. You know, in the moment, you're just reacting, you know, um, at least it was for me, you know, everybody's different, but it was super tough. You yeah. know, I mean, when you finally get that time alone and it finally just kind of the gravity of it definitely hits you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's heavy and it definitely, you know, I still deal with that to this day, you know, but it definitely put a, a kink in some of my plans for, for years after that, for sure. Mm. Fun topic though, right? <laughs> So a couple of questions that, uh, that yep. definitely popped to mind. I want to come back to when you say I put a kink in your plans for yep. a couple of years. But, but before we do that, you kind of, the way you phrased it, I think was something like, you know, now Ryan's gone and what do we do with the body? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on like, how did his passing impact the way that you view who Ryan was as, as an entity? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Ryan was super spiritual mm-hmm. for sure. Um, he handled it with grace. A lot of people, myself included, you know, would have, I think, gotten more angry. I'm not saying Ryan wasn't angry, but he certainly, he didn't show that. Mm-hmm. You know, he spent his time trying to bring people together. And mm-hmm. one of his friends actually said uh, said something cool to me. Uh, he came up to visit Ryan while he was sick and, we were out on the front porch and he said, uh, you know, your brother's getting dragged through hell right now. And he's focusing on bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And he just thought that, I thought that was really cool. And it's very mm-hmm. kind of emblematic of who Ryan was. Yeah. You know? He just wanted to be around the people he loved and he wanted everybody to be okay. Yeah. Um, he's, him, I mean, the way him passing, I mean, it didn't change who I thought. I always knew who my brother was. You know, that was, Ryan was 100% authentically Ryan. Right. Uh-huh. Um, he wasn't perfect, obviously, but he was always going to be himself yeah. and be true to himself. And um, I think that not so much his passing, but the way he handled the process of yeah. being sick and, yeah. you know, having basically, you know, getting news that, you know, this is, there's no cure for this. Yeah. This is not something, this is not a fight you're going to win and not sort of getting bitter and upset and not melting down. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he was very, he just stayed so positive through mm-hmm. the whole thing. Right. And that was, I think the biggest takeaway for me was just how much grace he had in that yeah. impossible situation. But it's beautiful. Thank you. But yeah, he was, he was a special guy, man. Yeah. He was, a uh, he was awesome. And it's, like I said, mm-hmm. it's certainly somebody that I think about every day, you know, in some form mm-hmm. of it. The big thing is, you know, I think I'm in a place now where I, when I think of him, it's not always in a sad way, you know, whereas for years it was, but, you know, I'm starting to get a, become, I'm starting to be able to remember him with associating happy memories and, you know, sad memories and memories of when, you know, I was mad at him and, you know, shit like that, which was definitely a lot of work to get, to get to that point for sure. Do you think you just kind of like blocked those memories out? I still think I 
done that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I definitely did hundred percent, but it's when something like that happens, I mean, you know, you and I were talking about it outside. You just, you feel so robbed. Mm-hmm. You feel so cheated, mm-hmm. you know, um, upset. And at this point in my life, I was reading a lot of, uh, Oh my God, no, I'm blanking on his name. He's, um, Christopher, he's a well-known atheist. Um, It's going to kill me. And Sam Harris. And so I was already in this weird, like, anti-God, anti-religion place. And it threw a flame on him already. Pretty raging fire. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, you know, like I said, you know, you're just, you're watching what, what it does to your family. It has this massive, massive ripple effect what it does to to his friends to his i'll say girlfriend at the time you know what it did to her and it's just it has a hell of a wake you know and it touches a lot of people and so it is it's very very upsetting and very like i said you just you feel cheated for sure for sure how would you say your views on death have developed since that time i'm not I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I just, I really don't. That's the God's honest truth. I mean, it's coming, you know, it's coming mm-hmm. for everybody. But uh, I think I spend now most of my time, not all of my time, trying to, I don't know, it sounds so corny, but I just, I want to enjoy the time I have. Mm-hmm. That's why I can be kind of, selfish with some of my choices as far as who I want to go see when I want to go see them you know I'm gonna do what not I'm not gonna do what I want to do like and that's that but you know I have been a little more selfish as far as you know doing and making sure that I'm experiencing what I want to experience I'm traveling I'm you know spending time with the people that I love you know the most maximizing my time with my fiance and all that and I don't think that's selfish. I think it's just, I think it's, you know, I think you realize how fragile life is yeah, and how I think people get caught up in the, you know, day to day, minute to minute, get through today, get through today kind of thing. You know, it's just like something like that happens and completely pulls the rug out from under you. And you're just like, well, if it can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. So I might as well try to enjoy what time I do have, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds cliche, but put it on a bumper sticker. And when you talk about like you felt cheated, do you think that's what you feel cheated of? Is that time to spend with your brother going through, you know, life together? I feel cheated that he's never going to, he never got to meet my wife. Yeah. My, you know, soon to be wife that he won't get to meet my kids. uh, God willing. Um, He won't, you know, get to experience new things for himself, have kids of his own, hit his stride as far as what he was doing. He was a very, very gifted woodworker and uh, he was on the brink of starting his own business with another guy and it undoubtedly would have been successful. Mm-hmm. I know that. So, you know, things like that, you know, where would that have gone? Or, you know, yeah. just, I mean, he obviously, yeah, you feel cheated of all those things. And the reason that, you know, I came to that from, asking your views on like what happens you know, after death is what I'm wondering is, have you considered the possibility that in some future lifetime, some future version of reality that your, you and your brother will be together again in some, some manner or fashion? Sure. Um, I hope so. 
I have no, nobody knows the answer to that question, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but I, I really, really hope so. Um, you know, whatever happens after we die, uh, you know, if there is an afterlife or, you know, if there is some, something that happens after death, you know, I know Ryan is, he's where he needs to be, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that, you know, I, maybe he was needed somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's, but yeah, I would definitely love, I love the idea of being able to see him again and, you know, spend some time with him and all that. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, I just don't have to answer that question. So I just try to honor him as best I can. I try to, you know, yeah, I just try to honor him. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned after his passing that you had a really tough relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, how would you classify that relationship today? Apathetic. I spent a lot of time and energy being angry uh, at something uh, that I have no control over. I don't know if it exists or doesn't exist. And it was just wasted. Mm-hmm. And it was, wasn't productive, you know, and <clears throat> I'm not, you know, I'm of the belief when you die, you're dead. You know, we're no better than anything else. Uh, that's just how my gut feeling on it. Sure. If there is an afterlife, great. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a wild way to live your life and make every decision based on something you've got nothing to back, back it on other than faith, which is total bullshit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, a, it was years of just kind of anger and frustration mm-hmm. and, it's like trying to talk to somebody about politics. Like if you mm-hmm. talk to somebody about religion, you're not going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. You're not going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're beating your head against the wall. It's so I just, I don't care if you want to mm-hmm. be religious. Great. More power to you, but don't try to impose it on me. Mm-hmm. That's where I draw the line. You know, I'm going to, I just don't care. And I know that's very agnostic and, Agnostics are kind of like the lazy atheists, I guess, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, why waste my time and energy on something not productive when I can refocus that somewhere else, you know? It's interesting. I mean, I, I, I would say I definitely shared your, your perspectives pretty much to the T, uh, until I kind of, you know, Christopher Hitchens. Okay. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. I, I definitely like shared your views very similarly, mm-hmm. right? Like definitely would say that I thought, you know, just didn't really think about death, figured base case, nothing after it. Yeah. You know, why waste your time? All, all the things you're kind of saying. Um, but then when I had what I'll call, you know, my spiritual awakening and, and, yeah. and got more into that, like, I think a couple of things, my conception of what is God started to change, right? Sure. Whereas... I had come at it, you know, growing up in a Judeo-Christian household, right? That you're taught that Yahweh is this, you know, God who commands you, the God of the Old Testament, don't do this and you'll be smitten, right? That kind of stuff, like fear, fear, powerlessness. But, but then I started to, I don't know, be awakened to this idea of like the perennial philosophy of, of that. In fact, we are all manifestations of the divine in this manifest reality, right? The whole idea of as above, so below Mm -hmm. and that you can actually directly experience God and psychedelics have been huge for me in that process. 
And I think for me, and like Aldous Huxley talks about this, right? The whole idea of like the doors of perception where psychedelics can be this gateway to show you, hey, there actually, there actually is more. You can directly experience the knowledge that there is no death. Like I had that experience. And I obviously, you know, you can say I was hallucinating. You can say whatever, like, I, you know, who knows? But I just, I've had that experience of a reality realer than real and came away with it with the knowledge that there is no death, that the universe is love, that. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my point is like that for me kind of changed my base case from saying there is, doesn't nothing after that to death is just a construct that we've made. And I, sure. and I, and I actually think that it is important. And I think that our society, which says you're allowed to say there is no nothing after death and that makes you a scientist. But if you say, I don't believe that death is the end, then you get grouped in with the religious people who don't believe in science. And I think that there's very much, those are complementary, and there can be a middle ground. And so I don't know. And, and anyway, I guess my the long one point I was trying to make is I, I think that our views on death can, in fact, have very profound implications in the way we approach everything in our life. But it just is so far in our subconscious, we don't necessarily recognize how that's being manifest. Sure. <clears throat> and I get the point that you made about saying, I don't think, you know, now you're a group. I mean, I think that's what we do as society is we just, if you're not going, you're either, you're either on the train or you're getting left behind, mm-hmm. right? And so then you get lumped into this, well, he's, he's crazy, you know, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Which, and it's so easy and it's such a cop out. I, Dave Chappelle had a great line about that, you know, calling someone crazy because you don't understand them. It's dismissive. Yeah. I don't understand this person. Therefore they're crazy, mm-hmm. which is total bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, your experience is unique to you. You mm-hmm. saying, you know, I had that experience. Who am I to tell you? you didn't? I haven't had that experience myself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if it would be hallucinogens that would take me there or what, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Sure. I don't know what sort of tool would get me there. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm also not looking for it. Mm-hmm. I think is a distinct where you and I are different Yeah. as far as, you know, you spend a lot of time and energy thinking and focusing on these things. And that's great. I have no problem with you doing that. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of that's not where I'm choosing totally. to allocate my time totally. and energy, you know, yeah. like, I'm not going to ever sit here and tell somebody, their experience is bullshit or their yeah. experience is not right. I didn't experience it. They did. So, but more power to you, man. And if I was able yeah. to, you know, have that sort of realization or whatever, I'm not against it. Like I yeah, said, yeah, yeah. I'm just not looking for it. I'm yeah. not seeking it out, if that makes sense. You for know? sure. But I'll tell you, I mean, I wasn't consciously aware I was seeking it for sure yeah. until very shortly before I found it. You know what I mean? Like I was going through a really tough time in my life, I'd say in like 2019, 2020 when COVID hit, right? Mm -hmm. Where I was worried about Trump. I thought our country was falling apart and more broadly than even just Trump, just the broader trend of the country, or sorry, the world going more towards fascism away from democracy and just climate change, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like feeling nihilistic. And there were just a lot of things about, society about the structure of our world that just didn't make sense meanwhile you know this was happening as you know prior to covid like business was at the most fragile time i was going through heartbreak at the time too so it's just like a lot of things kind of coalescing at the same time that forced me to be like 
I don't know, to do a lot of introspection. I'd had the benefit of having some of those experiences with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of this confluence of synchronicities came together very quickly that just... It was the God cocktail? But it wasn't even that. Like, that was... I know. But no, but I mean, I get it. But like, it was really more learning about metaphysical principles, right? And like theories of like the holographic universe yeah. and the unified field of consciousness that for me coming at it as like a scientific brain, yeah. spirituality is nonsense. That gave me the bridge to say, oh no, this shit is real. And then follow that up with a psychedelics experience that confirmed it directly. Do you mind if I ask you what that experience was? Yeah. Like, like, like what, what was it like? Yeah. I mean, well, like when you say experience that yeah. made you change i mean that's not yeah. a, an e like that's a core like belief yeah you know what i'm saying like, yeah so to have it flipped on its ear so maybe not quickly but i mean i mean it obviously had to be powerful it obviously totally. had to be pretty earth like shattering for you so i was just like what was that experience yeah totally yeah so i think what they call it in like the research trees like drug-induced ego dissolution okay and the whole theory is that like you all like with psychedelics, there's almost like this and not just psychedelics. I think meditation and other ways of getting these transcendental states of consciousness kind of all work the same way. Psychedelics, I think are just the most efficient way to get there. Right. You don't have to go practice meditating in the Himalayas for yeah. a year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but anyway, like, be dope, yeah. Right. But anyway, so it's like, there's almost like this critical tipping point, right. Where you take psychedelics, they help you kind of, with that trauma, they help you, your ego dissolve, but then eventually you get to a point of complete ego dissolution where you kind of break through okay. and you completely transcend the realities of Jordan Euclid as a human being. And you, and you get to this point of cosmic consciousness where you can feel that you are unified with the rest of the universe. Interesting. Yeah. I had it been pretty rad. It was dope. <laughs> Super dope. I mean, terrifying, but. Yeah. And what's crazy is like, I wasn't, I didn't like, I'd heard of that experience and I knew I hadn't had it, but I wasn't necessarily like looking for it. I just, I had learned these series about consciousness. I was reading this book called the holographic universe, you know, had some LSD laying around. So I'm like, all right, let's go explore. And, uh, you know, took, took a, a healthy dose, but not even anything that's like crazy. that crazy, but just, I think I was in the right state of mind. I was looking for that answer and it all kind of clicked and, and it so, happened. I guess my question is, you know, if you're seeking something out, you can kind of, your brain can kind of trick you into, if you're looking for an answer, you can justify it with something else. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, sure. No, that's you, fair. Did you ever think that that, like, did that ever cross your mind? Like, this was something you were obviously clearly um, spending a lot of time thinking and for sure. looking for, and then it happened, you know? And like, I'm yeah. not saying it wasn't real. I'm just saying like, you know, it's like that old saying, you know, you want to buy a mattress and then all of a sudden you see mattress trucks. All sure. Over the place, sure. You know? No, I so, get that. Like, just something like that. I definitely had thought about that. I mm -hmm. think for me, a couple of things, one, the experience was so profound, right? You sure. hear this idea of a reality realer than real. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely the case for me. And for like an entire week afterwards, I could see the divine in everything. Like I felt my connection, mm -hmm. like it, it lasted for a really long time. And since the you know, since that time happened, I've gotten into transcendental meditation. I've continued to explore psychedelics. I've mm -hmm. done a lot of like sound, sound healing, sound bowls type stuff okay. that have all, while not necessarily as profound as that initial experience have all given me the same 
feeling feeling and and every day i get closer and closer to that becoming a permanent state of mind so i i think that all has helped contribute to so is that the goal i think that's one of them that's for sure like to get to that point where yeah and so so getting back to the perennial philosophy right that's this idea that in fact if you look at the original spiritual traditions right and i'm talking about you know like the vedic tradition which is what um hinduism and buddhism is all based off of what christ actually said not how his words have been perverted by powerful organized religions right and the egyptians all this stuff a lot of these similarities come out with all these same myths or traditions right and the three kind of things that that are pulled out is that one there is an eternal unchanging reality beneath this world of change number two that um that we humans have enfolded within us the ability to achieve the divine to be to be god manifest in this world of change sure. and number three that the purpose of life here on earth is to reach that state of enlightenment okay and so anyway my view kind of now has changed is that that's really what christ was trying to say right like the kingdom of god is within you that we can achieve this maharishi mahesh yogi who is one of the guys really that that drove the spirituality movement in the West, that's what he taught is that enlightenment is our birthright. Through simple meditation practices like transcendental meditation, every single human can achieve a state of permanent cosmic consciousness. Hmm. Um, you know a lot more about this than I do. I mean, and again, like, do you. Like, I'm happy for yeah, you. Yeah. It's like you seem happy. You know, you're not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just... Taking some mushrooms and meditating. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, yeah, that's yeah. good for you, buddy. And, yeah. You know, I mean, it's obviously deeper than that. You're looking for, you know, you've got goals and, mm-hmm. you know, you're striving towards something, you know, and, you know, if it makes, like I said, I don't care. That's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. awesome. And, you know, I'm definitely interested in sort of these principles, not mm-hmm. from a, I want to do them. I just, I'd like to understand them sure. better. Totally. Um, you know, and, and, I, I'll be honest. I don't meditate. Mm-hmm. I I just don't spend a lot of my time in that space. And you know, maybe I should. Maybe there's something to it. You know, obviously, you would say there is. <laughs> um, but you know, your experience is your experience. You know, totally. it's not going to be the same thing for me. And um, but like I said, I'm not against it. But that's awesome. Yeah. You know. And then, what's that book called? Uh, which one are you talking about? The holographic. Oh, the holographic universe. Is that would you like what? Yeah. What would you say like this? Like, I think that's the best place to like, start. I can't yeah. recommend that book enough okay. to people. Well, I'll read yeah. that and then we'll talk about. Yeah, it. that'd be uh, awesome. Yeah. Totally. Well, and so talking about you know more contemplative or you know re- reflective practices. Yeah. You had an interesting experience for the first time last night. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, my first experience with mushrooms, um, which was pretty awesome. Um, you know. I, growing up, you know, we were trained, I think so much at the story of, you know, somebody takes a psychedelic and then they think they can fly and they jump mm-hmm. off the roof of their building, which mm-hmm. we all know now is total bullshit. Um, and so, but it's still like, it left an impression and it all like <clears throat> the idea of hallucinogens to me was always scary because of a control, mm-hmm. like what, I don't know how I would do if I felt power of control. And so I, but you know, now most of, you know, the people I talk to and the, you know, it's, you're very much still in control. It's just changing your perspective a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, 
was my experience last night and it was, you know, you, me did it and it didn't really hit me until I laid down to go to bed, but, uh, no, it was awesome. It's definitely something I would try again. You know, it's not something I think that it would be a common occurrence for Mm -hmm. me And, and nothing, you know, I went into that last night with like, I just want to see some shit. Mm-hmm. I want to see what this is about. You know, what's, what's all, you know, what's, why is everybody raving about this stuff? Yeah. But I've also looked at how they're starting to introduce it in therapeutic ways, you know, and there's medicinal values mm-hmm. to these things that, you know, for reasons we won't get into have been shut out of the market, yeah. you know? So, you know, when some pe- people that I respect and are pretty, you know, are, very well researched are mm-hmm. starting to talk about, you know, therapies, you know, MDMA therapy, things like that. And it's, it's like, well, okay, then, you know, can't be that bad. Totally. You know, and I, you know, I respect you and it's something that, you know, I would, I would trust you not to steer me into a situation that I'm not going to do well in, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was awesome. It was definitely yeah. unlike anything I'd ever done mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's probably a lot better than this shit is for you. You know I mean? I didn't feel bad in the next morning. Mm-hmm. It was a little hard to get to sleep, like I said, but that was yeah. it. But no, it was awesome. Definitely something I'll do again. Well, I'm glad you had a good experience. And, um, you Thanks, know, man. And I think for me too, all the things you mentioned, right? Like the research coming out on therapeutics. Like I, when I first read Michael Pollan's book, How to yeah. Change Your Mind, like that was really influential to me. And that was kind of coming at the same time as I was professionally just being in the cannabis space, learning about the history of the war on drugs, the controlled substances act, which substances were specifically scheduled as schedule one and which weren't right. And and how, how the whole scheduling in the first place was really nonsense and frankly, a, a means of control that I think helped to get me comfortable with, getting over that stigma and fear of this is going to fry your brain and yeah. you're going to think you can fly and run into an elephant, which is a car or whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I mean, we were taught that so much, right. Mm. And you know, your brain is still developing. It's certainly mm. something that, you know, you hold on to, but as you get older, as you, you know, experience, make your own conclusions, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, you know, weed is a gateway drug. Well, yeah. what if, yeah, it might be, it is pretty awesome stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it is a, definitely a factor of you know, the control. And yeah. we all know the war on drugs has been massively unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was ever designed to be successful. I think it was designed to fill up prisons. But that's a whole other topic. But yeah, yeah. definitely. You know, I would good. You know, if there was a Yelp for drugs, I would give it a good review. <laughs> Let Silk Road know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. Earlier when we were talking about, you know, the years after, after Ryan's passing, you yep. said, you know, it's something that stuck with you for a little while. Sure. And so I'm curious, how did that stick with you? Like I said, mostly just how I spent my time. You know, it wasn't, you know, I was bouncing around from job to job and I wasn't really, I kind of had this woe is me mentality mm-hmm. and it, I was definitely drinking too much. I was angry. I just, I didn't, I mean, I was a kid, I was 23. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. or how to, you know, there, is there a proper way to move forward? You know, I didn't know that. And, you know, obviously, you know, like I said about, you know, when I was talking about that wake, you know, I feel like the, product, the productive energy I did spend was kind of 
on other people, mm. not on me. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, my mom's already been through enough. Like, how am I going to make sure that like I get her through this? You know, what are my cousins going to be like? I mean, what effect is this going to have on everybody else? But I never really thought about what effect it had on me. Yeah. And so the outlets I went to were just anger and drinking and, you know, not trying to be the tough guy, Yeah. you know, yeah. like just put the, put it on my shoulders and, you know, put, kind of put your head down and get through it. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it definitely like from a, you know, professional standpoint, like I, I didn't give a shit. I just mm. wanted to make rent. I wanted to have enough money to do what I wanted to do, mm. you know? And then that was it. It was just, you know, get through whatever this month, get through, yeah. you know, this week, you know, but as I've learned these, this, these feelings aren't going away yeah. as far as the, the heaviness of it. Right. I mean, that's always going to be a part of me and it's how do I productively handle this? How do I not go to the bottle? How do I not get angry? How do I not, how do I repurpose that sort of bad cocktail you know, because that's what it is and you can use that energy productively. But, you know, I didn't think about, I mean, the, my future wasn't of any concern, yeah. you know, during that period, I'd say for probably like a good five, six years. But thankfully, I think I, I mean, I'm certainly have got that more work I could do <laughs> myself, but you know, that's, I'm in a better place now than I was shortly after that for sure. And sorry, folks, for some background noise, doing a little bit of construction at the house right now. But uh, <laughs> And so have you found better ways for coping with that, those emotions over the last, you know, over the last years? Yeah, talking, not holding it in. You know, I mean, it sounds so simple. And, you know, my fiance has been a godsend in that regard. She inherited a hell of a fixer-upper, but she doesn't let me bullshit her. She doesn't let me... You know, she will get to the root cause, yeah. you know, kind of like what we were talking about out there, you know, not letting little things become big things. But yeah, I mean, just talking, you know, I've gone to therapy. It hasn't stuck yet. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what's the EDM or is it EMD? EDM music you're talking no, about? No, therapy. Oh. It's like eye movement, something dissonance, dissonance or something like that, where I've tried that, which that was definitely the most successful of any versions. But, you know, finding a good therapist is like finding a partner. You know, it's got to be the right fit. But, yeah, I mean, just talking. It let me let go of some of that feeling of being cheated and yeah. feeling of being robbed and anger and, you know, having someone that I know 100% is here for me and will listen to me and mm-hmm. let me blow out the lines if I need to, mm-hmm. you know, because, and this is no knock against my mom, but, you know, she lost her son. So she's not somebody that I'm going to go to, to try to, I mean, she can't be my therapist. You know what I'm saying? She's got her own shit to do. So having a, you know, completely non-biased third party that will just be there for me has been wonderful. But yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, I've got a lot of work to do and I'm not, this is going to be a part of me the rest of my life, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just, how do I... Not move forward, but how do I accept it and not be upset? You know, because it happened. Nice, man. Thanks. Been talking a lot about me, man. (laughs) Can I ask you some questions? Let's go, baby. All right. How do you feel about, I mean, 
you're obviously single. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you want kids? Do mm-hmm. you want to get married? Is that something mm-hmm. you see for yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. I know you, uh, I've been thinking about that since you mentioned it yesterday. So growing up, I definitely was on the get married, have kids train. Mm-hmm. And I think, frankly, the, a lot of that stems from come, having a Catholic mom who that's, you know, the definition of success and that's our society and that's what she wants for. It's the next step. Exactly. And that's, you know, I, you know, not knock on that at all. Mm-hmm. I, I totally understand where that's coming from. And uh, so I think that was always just very much my default. Like that's what's going to happen, you know? It was almost just like you, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And, you know, finding the right girl, of course. Yeah. Like I, I think one of my um, <laughs> strengths and weaknesses is like when it comes to relationships. And this is kind of funny. I just had like my first astrology reading a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Where are you? Uh, well, see, that's the thing. I my sun sign is Sagittarius, mm-hmm. but that's just like the big t- you know tip of the iceberg when it comes to astrology. And one of the things I learned. So the way it works is um, with your like birth chart reading. Mm-hmm. It's all based on where the constellations of the zodiac were in the sky at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And so the sky is divided into 12 houses. Six of them are the constellations that were above the horizon at that time. Okay. Six were below. And so the houses that are above are kind of like the what you show the world. The houses below are, are kind of what's more kind of who you truly are, but you kind of keep a little bit more private, I guess. That's such a Sagittarius thing to say. Such a Sag. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, the reason I bring this up is uh, I found that out that Aries is in my house for relationships. Okay. Aries is like a fire sign. It's the start of the year. It's like known as like being very bullheaded. Like that. what that meant is like um, when it comes to relationships, I'm super hot or I'm completely cold, right? Okay. And it's like it's something that I knew about myself, but it was just like, oh, yeah, duh. And I don't know. It almost like I almost felt like it was a a defect for me in a way. Like I felt like, why is it that all these great girls I'm just not interested in? And then the girls that do come around that I'm super into, I'm just coming way too hot. And it's just like, whoa, dude, like, you know what I mean? So just like, but then it's like, Oh, it's just like, that just kind of explains, you know, who I am. And, uh, and then it's just like, all right, now I just need to be aware of that, you know? Sure. I mean, I think that you are kind of aware of it. Yeah. I mean, but, but then I guess back to the question that, you know, the crux of what you're just asking is like, um, I'd say one, it's been a blessing because like, it's just, you know, my life, especially the last year and a half has just taken all these kinds of crazy weird turns that I never would have seen coming. And I think if I had been married and settled down at this point, it just, it just, that just wouldn't have happened. So, so I'm very well, happy about it. That sense. Collateral damage. Or that totally. And, yeah. and a lot of my friends in the spiritual community have had a lot of collateral damage with relationships sure. for that reason. And then I think the other thing I'd add is that I think as my views on consciousness and death have changed right now, I very much believe that my existence has had, will have right time kind of being this, this nonlinear thing. Yeah, exactly infinite experiences right and that there will be other lifetimes where i have kids and families and all that stuff and so that's great and so it's it's relieved this pressure for me to feel like i need that to be successful to be happy based on society based on what my parents have taught me so i could also very much see me i just have just this really weird idiosyncratic life kind of thing where i just like never really settled down and 
get up and this is all kinds of hijinks and that sounds pretty dope too, you know? So I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm happy for you that you've been kind of relieved of that, you know, mm-hmm. definitely. It's, I mean, it's definitely a societal pressure. Did, like, did you feel that? Totally. Uh-huh. I mean, I'll be 34 when we get married. She'll be 33. And like, there's definitely points where you're, I felt like this has got to, like, I got to get going, you know, like, you know, cause uh, you know, our friends are getting married now. Our friends are having kids. And I, I mean, I'm, I kind of see the silliness in the pressure now, Yeah, you know, like it'll happen when it happens. Like you can't force that. Right. That's why the divorce rate is what it is. Totally. You know, uh, totally. so I feel, I feel I've never felt more confident about who I want to spend the rest of my life yeah. with, you know, you know, and the rest is, I mean, the rest will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Right. She's the one. I know that mm-hmm. you know, that's a good starting, you know, if kids happen, awesome, mm-hmm. you know, but the pressure definitely is there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there's definitely this, especially from where we grew up and totally you know, go to high school, get the good GPA, go to college, you know, get the good job. All right. Now, you know, buy the house or find a girl and kids. And so it's like, you know, totally. and so if you break that mold, you're like, well, what's wrong with me? Totally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We talked about that. You know, I didn't graduate from college mm-hmm. and I had a lot of worry and, you know, I forced a lot of stuff and, you know, if I was, my biggest regret is not looking at the trades right out of high school. You know, if I would have been, you know, if I joined the carpenters union or whatever, whatever union I would have decided or whatever, you know, I'd be making very good money and I would have no student debt. And it's like, instead I just lied to myself and said, well, I'll figure it out. You know, this is, I'm on the right path. And it wasn't. And it, you know, I'm still paying off student loans with nothing to show for it. We're still paying off Ryan's student loans with, yeah, I mean, well, he Are you serious? Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. He's been dead for 10 years and we're still paying off his student. I didn't realize that they transfer over to the family. They, so my grandma co-signed. Gotcha. And so if, I mean, I would have stopped paying him forever ago, but mm-hmm. we'll go after her and I'm not going to have that. Yeah, yeah, of course. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it's a business, you know. It's crazy, They man. don't care. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just having the, having to come to that realization of like, look, this isn't for me. Like I'm not, I don't, I'm trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. And that was like a lot of sleepless nights, you know, I mean, you're scared. I mean, I didn't know, well, how am I going to make a living? You know, there's such a stigma of, you know, like shit, even an MBA now is, I mean, that's not rare. I mean, it's almost like you don't have it totally, you know? So, and if you do have it, it's like, oh, it's not Harvard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. Um, so what's next? Yeah. And it just, I'm, I'm very happy where I'm at. I'm in the right spot. I know that. And it just, it was a long road to get there though, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So how did your parents handle Ryan's death? Um, not well, we'll say, um, <clears throat> you know, my mom, I mean, I think it goes without saying that no parent should have to bury their kid. Um, and you know, my mom still very much struggles with it. Um, and she, that's her, she's always going to, Yeah. you know, that's something that she's going to have to figure out how to manage. Yeah. You know, I can't fix that problem for her and it's changed the fabric of who she is. My dad, you know, he, uh, put on a strong face, but he has his own demons for sure. So he had other outlets. But my mom is the one that I worry about the most, you know, 
and she knows that this isn't this isn't a secret to her. Yeah, she could benefit from some therapy. She's stubborn though. I mean, they just. It's, it's just hard. I mean, it's, it's just an impossible situation. You know, it's like, what is the proper way to move forward? You know, how do you, and the hard, one of the hardest things that I've realized is that first year, it was, you know, everybody was really good about checking in and seeing how you're doing and, but life goes on and, you know, people continue to, you know, grow and move on and have to start families, you know, get new jobs and all that stuff and they stop checking in less and they mm-hmm. forget, you know, dates and stuff like that. And you initially take that personally, which is so fucked up because it's like, how selfish is that? And that they're not thinking about me and what hardship I'm going through, but you kind of do. And I mean, I've, and I think there's still some of that in my mom, not from a outside of the family perspective, yeah. but you know, people within the family of something, falls through the cracks or they don't yeah. remember, you know, she's kind of, but it's like people are living their own life. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's tough, you know, but yeah. she's, she's definitely got a lot of work to do for sure. And I wonder if any of that stems from this idea of like that loss of security of like her son was ripped away from her, you know, mm-hmm. so unexpectedly that now she's lost that faith or trust in everyone else. And it's like, are you going to slip away from me as well? I think it's more of a, I don't want him to be forgotten uh, kind of thing uh-huh. versus, you know, a fear of losing others. Yeah. I definitely think it's more of why aren't you, why aren't you thinking about it? Mm-hmm. And it's just not, it's not fair to expect even my closest friends to remember everything. And I don't take it personally. I mean, mm-hmm. your life, life keeps going, mm-hmm. you know, what literally stopped ours, you know, well, while that happened, everything else was still moving forward, you know? So it's just, it's tough, but she's, she's strong. She's un, unbelievably strong with everything she's been through. But yeah, when Ryan is definitely, I think her biggest hurdle, and I don't think it's ever going to go away. And did your parents split around that time as well? So my parents actually, um, they're divorced and, you know, they divorced uh, around 2007, but my dad still lived there. Uh, my dad struggled with addiction and uh, alcoholism. So, but again, my mom is being who she is. She was always trying to get get him to be the man that she knew or had convinced herself that he could be. When in reality, you know, she was fighting a losing battle. She was never going to win that fight, and she didn't. Um, and you know. He moved out in 2017, so she just, you know, and I told her, I told her this actually last week, you know, because she asked me if I, sh- if she should have divorced him. And I mm-hmm. said, I get what you were trying to do as far as protecting Ryan and I, you know, making sure that we weren't stigmatized, you know, by my dad's behavior and things like that. And, but I told her, you know, once we graduate high school, you know, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm that's when you should have pulled the plug. But um, yeah, they're, so they're split. My dad, he's sober now, which is great. That's awesome. Um, I'm happy for him. You know, he's done quite a bit of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a long, long way to go in that relationship and, you know, mending that. Um, what are you guys talking? 
We are. That's we, great. We didn't for a long time, but we are. I've seen him a couple times. Um, he's he's my dad. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a weird relationship where you know, I just I don't have the energy to try to fix that. You know, mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I never will. I'm not saying I'm not interested in it. You know, but it's just something right now that it's like I've just got too many plates in the air yeah, right now. Totally. You know, and it's just I don't want to spend my time there yet. Yeah, but yeah. But hey, it sounds like you're uh, on the right path. So that's Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, it just it sounds like that must have just been a lot for you to take on all at once, right? Like. Yeah brother your dad you're kind of taking on all this that you know you're helping your mom but then also that i'm sure is making it harder for you to grieve yourself because you want to be strong for her so i mean there's a lot going on during that time period in your life absolutely i mean it like i said i mean to my own yeah i mean it it stunts stunted my progression forward Mm -hmm. right and uh it's just one of those things where you know what happened happened you know, I can only control what I can control and that's what I'm focused on moving yeah. forward. And again, having a partner that is so ride or die and down uh-huh. for me, like that's made all the all the difference. That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. Well, uh it's gonna be a fun weekend and um you know, I'm glad that you're out here in Colorado. Thanks, man. Came out to see Nate Bergatsky. Bergatsky. Bergatsky, yeah. Bergatsky. Nailed it. <laughs> Graham's been uh, getting in his DMs asking if he wants to go. Today, so. <laughs> yeah, that was so I fun. I don't think he'll be at the course, but, you know, one can hope. One can hope. Maybe he'll show up. So, Nate, if you're watching, <laughs> missed out. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. We'll yeah. go head up into the mountains, do some hiking. Yeah. Maybe experience some more things. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's been fun. Totally, man. Well, and uh, before, before we break, I wanted to talk to you a little about just comedy in general and stand up. Oh, and, sure. You know, why has that been something that has resonated with you so much over your life? I think it's one of the most terrifying anything. Yeah. I mean, it's literally you in front of a room of people and your job is to make them like you. And it's really, really hard. It's, you know, really hard to be original. It's really hard to, you know, make people laugh. I mean, mm-hmm. you've probably, you know, people, you know, you're friends with people that are just shit storytellers. And then you're like, oh my God, get to the point. You know, I mean, it's a skill set, you know, mm-hmm. it's totally. a muscle. Um, and I think, you know, people, you know, comedians, there's been that are very important for culture, for, mm-hmm. you know, where we are at that particular time. You know, I mean, you know, speaking not truth to stupid, but like, you know, being reasonable, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like we're in this society now where it's like, you have to walk on eggshells about every fucking thing and it's exhausting, you know? Um, and I think it takes guts to get up there and say, well, you're either going to like me or this is going to go poorly, Yeah, you know? And plus I just like to laugh. I admire the hell out of the obvious ones, you know, Dave Chappelle, uh, Nate Bargatze, uh, Tom Segura, Bill Burr. He's a big one. Michelle Wolf, Ali Wong, these people that are, they're just funny. Yeah. And it's like, what, like, I don't know about you, but like, what a fun way to spend a night to just go somewhere and just laugh. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And they're just important. They're yeah. important to society. They are. And people, you know, 
Bill Burr again had a great quote. People are complaining about jokes that I tell in a strip mall when we've got an opioid crisis, yeah. a trash, you know, swirl you know, out in the ocean. And he said, uh, it's your house burns down and your first thought is, oh, fuck, I need a new toaster. It's like we're not addressing the real problems totally. here, you know. It's totally. he, he said safe outrage, and that really resonated with me. It's it is that's what it's it is. safe outrage. It's safe outrage. It's like you're not going after these these pillars of what is really preventing society from moving yeah. forward. Dude, I agree with you completely, and I think it gets into like the free speech stuff we were talking about yesterday. Yeah. It's like the thing with comedians, and they've really played this role as a as a voice to as a as a as a uh, truth to power kind of role from the beginning days right like the court gesture was the guy who could poke fun at the king yeah and and i think that's why number one they're able to say things that other people can't because you know what's really interesting zach is like as i think about how screwed up our financial and economic system is right the thing you recognize is like the more successful and this has just been my personal experience kind of just in, in, in the relative business success I've seen for myself, but also just as I see more about the people who get to be these top hundred billionaires, right? Yeah. Like is that the more a part of the system you become, the less flexibility you have to speak out against it and actually change it for the better. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, if the people in power can't do it, we're censoring the comics from talking about it. It gets into rappers as well, I think, play a very similar role. And I was yeah. talking about how common and, you know, these guys like 100%. we're saying things that I'm not hearing anywhere else. Yeah. So it's like when you start to censor art, when you start to, you know, when the economic system is so fragile. convoluted and fragile that like the people who have the power can't say the truth. Where can we go for truth or, or at least just a, another opinion Versus the one that's being dictated to us through the media. Well, that's the whole thing now is the loudest in the room is all you hear. Yeah. It's the extremes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I truly don't think it's that big of a percentage of people. Yeah. I think most people are rational and are willing. Well, maybe not most, but yeah, there's a good portion of people that would be willing to sit down and have a conversation. And whether that conversation ends with, you know, I, we still disagree. Like, yeah. sure. But they were able to talk to each other. Yeah. Right now it's just mom and dad are yelling at each other and everybody's waiting for it to quiet down. And it's like, like you said it, you just, where do you go? Like, you know, the second you go against the grain one way or the other, like that conservative, same thing, liberal, same thing. Like if you challenge somebody on the left with what, whatever, you know, mm. they're like, now you're just lumped into this. Totally. Now you're, now you're, you're, now you're all you're right. You're part of the fucking problem. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it's like, well, no, explain it to me. Totally. Make me understand where you're coming from. You know, I don't just yeah. have to take what you say at face value as fact. And that is where we're at. And it's for sure. It's, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you've got these companies, you, you don't have to go too down, too far down the rabbit hole here, but you know, Fox News, down. I know you <laughs> be here for Six hours. Yeah. I've got a tea time. I gotta get to yeah. um, Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and all yeah. these things. They're not actual. They're labeled as entertainers, so they can't be sued for that exact reason. So it's just like 
if the news isn't even actually the news, like you, well, what, where do I get, you know, who do I trust? And it's like how I think COVID, you know, all this stuff, how that was politicized. Trump was obviously, he was something, but you know, it's like, did we want to, I, you know, like you said, these people that maybe potentially they're not even speaking up. They're just presenting a different way of a different perspective. And it's like immediately like, can't have that. It's kind of scary. It you is know? scary. You know? And it's like, well, then what? We're just all these robots that have our marching orders and, you know, that's not the way I want to live. You know, and I know you don't want to live that way. No, I'm talking and you, I know you won't live that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, Go out and blaze of glory before that fucking happens. <laughs> just when you buy a cabin in the woods and start writing a manifesto, I'm going to be a little concerned. Right? It's funny. My guy, uh, my essentially guy was here yesterday and he was like, set up the 5G. I was like, how do I disable the 5G? He's like, uh, he's like, oh, you're one of those. Yeah, exactly. It was like, no, I don't want that fucking no, radiation. Like, <laughs> that tape over everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Blackout curtains, all that. No, I mean, the reality is, you know, who do you believe? You know, where is the truth? And I think you have to find that for yourself as far as, you know, what feels right. Do you feel right. like I'm doing, do I feel like I'm doing the right thing? Is this good or bad? I mean, I think we all, for the most part, unless you're a sociopath, understand right and wrong. And your version of right might not be my version of right. So who's to say, again, it's all about that personal experience. You know, it's interesting because it gets into censorship and like, that's the problem. One of the many problems I have with it is that you just, when, when you're censoring the alternative viewpoint, other people can't ever hear it. So you don't even understand what their argument is. All you get is What's what the, the what the mainstream's calling them and saying these guys are anti-vaxxers and spreading medical misinformation, right? Because it was interesting when we were talking about censorship yesterday, we started talking about kind of the woke movement. Mm-hmm. And then I brought up the censorship that happened during COVID as it relates to labeling people with medical misinformation. And you thought that that was a different thing, which I actually would would generally disagree with. I think it's different in regards to there's a direct cause and effect. I think vaccines work and saying they don't is potentially putting people at risk. That's my personal feeling. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this vaccine is the most successful. I think we've seen that it hasn't been, Mm. but I think when you got to be careful about saying you're, you're perpetuating a, well, now I don't want to, you know, if this one doesn't work, Mm -hmm. the measles one doesn't work, the smallpox. I mean, it's like they're just because one small portion of something much bigger that does work, maybe isn't as successful is, don't undermine the bigger picture. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. I hear you. It's I like think, a, it's like your favorite band puts out that one experimental yeah. shit album. You don't hate that band. You don't like that album. Yeah. But you still love the band. And it, it's it's I, I I get what you're saying, and I definitely felt consistent with how you're framing it. But the more um, how do I put this? The more I kept getting 
insights from people I respected that there was a lot of corruption associated with what went down with COVID, both before and during the pandemic, and started investigating that, the more it's it's helped me to see an alternative perspective that the entire the entire paradigm upon which our medical and pharmaceutical industry has been built may itself have been corrupted by nefarious influences. And and what I mean by that is like a lot of our modern paradigm was all dated back to the Rockefeller foundation, which John D Rockefeller started. He started this after he was forced to break up his total monopoly of the oil industry, moved it into Rockefeller trust or Rockefeller foundation which wasn't these charitable philanthropies were like a new structural security that came under a ton of scrutiny at the time. Cause they were like, Hey, these guys are just trying to do tax evasion. Yeah. And you know, without getting too far into it, the very first role of the Rockefeller foundation, because it was also at this time that they started to find that pharmaceuticals could be super profitable. Well, and also could be made from petrochemicals. So he already obviously had had the oil industry. So so the pharmaceutical industry itself is effectively a derivative of the oil industry. Mm-hmm. And so he went out with a very intent agenda to drive what medical schools around the country could teach as it relates to pharmaceutical-based medicine versus holistic, natural, herbal sure. remedies, which were very common before that time in medical schools, by the way. Okay. So anyway... I mean, it, so my question is, I mean, I think it's, it's apparent that we have an issue like with our, not only our healthcare system, but the pharmacy industry, um, you know, there wouldn't be people like Mark Cuban going out and starting their own companies where insulin isn't $1,200, it's 35, like it's, there's obviously a disconnect. Totally. You know, like there's no reason we need to be. And it's these Martin Scarelli characters, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's it's completely manipulated. It's completely yeah. for profit, and it's completely avoidable. I mean, how it's just a matter of you know. Again, you're attacking yeah. attack the system. Yeah, that's where you exactly. That's right. That's that's the that's the deeper issue. That's the deeper how, issue. I get mad that it's like you're yelling at individuals. The system is broken. That's what is. you need to address. And it's, I agree with that. And it's I very totally frustrating that. to watch people go after Bill Burr because he made a transgender joke. Exactly. It's like, guys, we're on the brink of nuclear war and like this is what you're getting it's <laughs> yeah. tizzy about. We're focusing on the wrong things. Again, it's yeah. that safe outrage. It I think really it's is. more than that, though. I think it's... I think we obviously... I don't know about this. We obviously both, uh, to varying degrees, distrust authority... Yeah. Right. Is that fair That's to fair. say? And I think from my perspective, one of the places is I think it's, is that it's been a concerted effort on the parts of the people in power to distract and to, and to specifically turn the narrative so that people are turning against each other. It's Trump versus Biden. It's liberal versus conservative. It's trans versus you know, white nationalist, yeah. right? At the end of the day, if the more that we're distracted and yelling at each other over nonsense, no one's looking at them and saying, 
what are you guys doing with the direction of our planet right now? Yeah. Well, again, it comes back to that point I brought up earlier about, you know, you're not, you don't, I don't understand this person. Therefore, yeah. you're crazy. And I'm yeah. being told to call them crazy. I'm being told right. to call them, you know, that they're wrong or whatever. But it is the extremes that are, you know, the loudest. That's the, it is the extremes that you hear the most. But I think our, our system also amplifies 100%. That. But what I'm saying, I mean, yeah, CNN and Fox, Fox News, News yeah. One American MSNBC. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that drives ratings, yeah. which drives ad sales, which drives profit, which drives all that shit. And, you know, I do, I really do believe that people, most people have the ability to sit down and talk to somebody yeah. that they don't understand. And, you know, they might not get anything out of that conversation, but they are not hateful, you know, which yeah. is where we're at now. And it's like, when you've got people like, you know, we're in the great state of Colorado and you've got people who are in fucking Bobert in Congress. That's, I don't know. She's the one that carries a gun and her husband exposed himself to some teenagers and shit like that. She's, she ran on for, you know, just keeping the Trump thing alive. America, guns, Christianity, <laughs> that bullshit. And she's successful. She's all, but she's a loud voice and not everybody feels that way. I think right. most people don't feel that way. Maybe her pocket, her county, whatever is, you know, don't take my guns, you know, and that's all they care about. And there's single voter issues and that's, they're going to vote Republican yeah. for that reason. But this, again, if the system is broken, go after the system. Don't go after individuals, but I would yeah. go after her because she sucks. And you know, it's, uh, it kind of gets back to that whole, system specifically working to polarize us because if all of that we're hearing, even if the vast majority of people don't aren't on the extremes, we're reasonable people. We yeah. want the country to do well. We just, you know, when you're only hearing the people on this side and this side, then that just keeps, you know, feeding itself. And that's why you keep seeing this increasing polarization more and more yeah. and more. hundred percent. I mean, it's, you know, I know people that are Republicans and they're Republicans for the mere abortion. They believe that, you know, they're going to vote Republican because they're, they're pro-life and that's never going to change. And I'm not going to try to change their mind. Do I think that they're holding back the progress of society? Yeah. 100%. But I mean, I think eventually society will move forward with or without those people. And I hope that in the interim, there's not too much damage done and we don't know. Yeah, I, I get your point. I just, I think that maybe you're falling victim a little bit to your own echo chamber too. And I, I came from okay. that kind of liberal Democrat perspective and, and was very much a victim to this too. But all I'm saying in that regard is that you're still getting caught up in like these people, like these kind of hill, not, not heavily, but you know what I'm saying? The stereotypical yeah. Republican, Southern Republican. Southern Republican. Yes. And I think, my point is that getting back to the system, it's not those guys that are the issue. It's the guys who have all the power. You know, it's something like, it's like 82 people have more wealth or the equivalent wealth as 50% of the world's population. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen by accident. Well, no. I mean, the system is, we keep saying the system, the system. It'd be nice to be able to articulate a little bit better on that. But I mean, the rich get richer. Exactly. That's not... Like, I mean, is it right? No. But how do we fix it? And I'm 
certainly not smart enough to attack that. You know, it's funny when you say, how do we fix it? You, you made a funny comment yesterday, but it actually like super resonated when you asked if, uh, something about revolution, right? And like one idea I've been thinking about a lot, and it's something that's in our constitution is the ability to call a new constitutional Congress. Mm. We haven't done it since 1776, but my, my views is that our, our system of government today, and unfortunately the problem is much deeper than just even the U S so this doesn't solve everything, but it's a good place to start is that I think the entire system has been so corrupted that we have, what amounts to nothing more than oligarchy, kleptocracy. It's just regulatory capture is so deep and pervasive at this point that what worries me is that, not even worries me, but I just wonder, is that the most efficient solution to just try and try and figure wipe something this, completely new? Just wipe the slate clean? Yeah. You asked me about comedians and now we're talking about a new <laughs> new government. <laughs> Goddamn. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I definitely think the system... Has got some holes, and you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it's not re- it's not a Republican or Democrat yeah. thing. It's that's not the issue. It's the system that is perpetuating all of you know all this corporate greed yeah. and all this. You know, again, I'm way too dumb to understand the inner workings of how it happens. But what I do, but know, you're not. You see the forest for the trees. That's what, what I do. Matters. That's what most people. Nancy miss. Pelosi's husband being able to trade exactly, like with her in, like, like. Oh, okay. What's a congresswoman's or House Speaker's salary? Two hundred fifty k. How about this one? How net worth is like two hundred million dollars or something yeah. crazy? It's like, well, how does that happen? I know she's a dinosaur and she's been there forever, but it's like that doesn't add up, right? Or Hunter Biden having, you know pedophilia all over his computer yet that gets suppressed you know what i mean it's yeah. like there's certain people that well, look at can get away with it we're, we're going crazy no <laughs> i know where you're going to say it the jeffrey epstein thing exactly yeah bill gates bill clinton was on his flight what 27 times or something oh yeah i wonder what he was doing the lolita express yeah. come on how is no one talking about this because it doesn't fit the narrative exactly that's exactly right it doesn't fit the narrative and People would lose a lot of advertising dollars. It's like you said, it's a, yeah. it's a tight knit community of people that want things to get out and things not to get out. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, mm-hmm. you know, people wanted the list of everybody that had been to Epstein's Island, you know, the people in power, then we yeah. would have it. Exactly. They don't. So, we yeah. <laughs> but yep. anyways, we went down a rabbit hole. And, no, I think it's a good, good rabbit hole to cover to it needs to be said and well there's a lot of questions no one else is saying it it's that's what drives me crazy yeah and you're probably like it's like i'm gonna get banned from youtube your first upload but yeah yeah, for sure youtube i'm definitely gonna get banned from at some point oh definitely if it's not this one it'll be yeah yeah it's coming but there you go i mean doesn't that what have we said that's so dangerous you know what i mean i mean that that people can't hear yeah i wouldn't say anything Mm -hmm. but I don't make that call. I don't work at YouTube. Yeah. I make drywall. I cook dirt and put it between paper. <laughs> Trust you more than Sergey Brin. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just talk about advertising revenue, getting back to COVID. I mean, I think it's something like 45% of 
advertising revenues for television stations come from big pharma. So if they have an agenda of what they want to say, go to any other country. Go to any other country and see if any commercial is for a medication. Every other commercial, it's wild. I mean, there's a reason for that. It's profitable. It's not that. It's not that deep. Like. And that's what I gets back to even what I was talking about the Rockefeller stuff is like our entire medical paradigm. And I'm certainly not saying that like there are drugs that definitely work, of course. And there's yeah. a lot of things like that. But there's also, I think, a lot of other healing modalities that work that are very much cheaper or just cannot be patented and controlled by a pharmaceutical company that have been specifically suppressed by the medical establishment mm-hmm in order to keep people on pharmaceuticals that are much more expensive. Well, it's funny. I have a, I'm not, I have somebody I know and I know well that works for Pfizer Mm -hmm. and has worked for Pfizer for years. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of conversations with this person and asked them, you know, how they feel about working for Pfizer, you know, and it's always, they've been, they were in sales. So that was always great. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. They were getting paid very handsomely Mm -hmm. and they finally admitted basically i i know that i'm responsible for a lot of you know you know not single-handedly or but they've contributed to you know environmental problems Mm -hmm. they've contributed to you know pushing medications they know are going to have adverse side effects, you know, things like that. And if that's somebody that works there, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, um, it's just to get, and this, this person spent their entire career there. So, and was very successful. So it's like they got paid by the devil and now they're kind of having to deal with that. Yeah. You know, when you ever heard that, is it, Borla or whatever the CEO's name, like you just hear him speak, he sounds like a straight up Bond villain. Like, yeah, what? I mean he is. I mean the opioid epidemic has killed how many people every day? I mean it's just wild. And by the way, Pfizer was obviously already one of the largest, biggest companies in the entire world. You know, last year forty five percent of the revenues came from COVID vaccines. It's fucking crazy. So anyway, it was definitely profitable for them. So we'll just uh, maybe leave it at that. There were some good bonuses that year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer, right? Zach, this is awesome, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for going down all the rabbit holes. I can't wait to get labeled as a crazy person. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. Thanks everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. In this conversation, Zach talked about how his brother's passing was particularly difficult because he felt cheated out of all the experiences they didn't get to share. That Ryan won't meet Zach's fiance or their future children. Many of us who have lost loved ones too young have felt similar expressions of grief. What does this idea of loss mean for who we are as conscious beings? Because if this is the one life we're given to live, of course we want to share every moment possible with the people we love the most. But what if this experience of life is not all that there is? What if this physical manifestation, instead of being the alpha and omega of our existence, 
represents one infinitesimally small subtotality of who we truly are? What if we have lived and will continue to live infinite lives, infinite expressions of consciousness, infinite ways for our cosmos to experience itself? Then maybe the loss doesn't need to be quite so heavy. Because at this deeper, transcendent level of reality, death itself could be just a construct. Therefore, those we love are never lost to us because the soul is eternal. And the true nature of the soul is unconditional love. So that regardless of the days and minutes we have with those we love in this lifetime, the impact of those experiences ripple eternally in ways we humans can't even begin to comprehend. Of course, I have no way to prove this is the case and that the concept of the human soul even exists, just as the materialists have no way to prove it doesn't. Either way, I prefer to believe it does. Finally, I'd like to wrap up this episode touching on a joke Zach made during the episode when we discussed resisting tyranny. He asked me to give him a heads up if I move to a cabin in the woods and start writing my manifesto. Apart from being a hilarious joke, he does bring up an important point worth addressing, as history is is littered with people who advocate revolutionary change against oppression, in turn becoming violent and destructive themselves. That those of us who seek truth, especially as it relates to corruption and criminal conspiracy, must tread carefully. For as Nietzsche warned, battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. So I want to be explicitly clear here. The only manifesto I'll ever write is a manifesto of love. A manifesto of harmonious vibrations. With that in mind, here are 10 convictions I currently hold. Note that these are subject to change based on the acquisition of new information, the introduction of new perspectives I hadn't previously considered, and direct experience which contradicts my views. Number one. We live in a world of infinite possibility. We humans, individually and collectively, are co-creators of our reality capable of exercising free will. As such, I intend to do everything in my power to manifest a world that maximizes love, maximizes fun, and minimizes suffering. Number two, consciousness is not not a random byproduct of our evolution. Quite the contrary, consciousness is foundational to our cosmos. Our atheistic, materialistic, modern worldview is antithetical to the true nature of reality. We humans are not limited to the familiar states of waking, sleeping, and dreaming. Rather, there are higher states of consciousness which can be accessed by all of us. Similarly, our epistemological capabilities for experiencing this cosmos vastly exceed the familiar five senses. Number three, life is bliss. Life is not suffering. As the collective human consciousness ascends to our next phase of evolution, a tipping point which I believe to be imminent, we will recognize how the current materialistic worldview and the self-serving actions of a powerful few have limited the potential latent within all of us. At that point, we'll be ready to usher in a future more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. Number four, extraterrestrials are real, zero-point energy technology exists and is being suppressed, and there is a criminal cabal at the center of world power. This last point is particularly controversial and a topic generally shunned from polite conversation. Acknowledging this uncomfortable truth does not make me an alt-right, anti-Semitic proud boy, despite the narrative pushed by the compromised media against anyone attempting to get at the truth of this criminal enterprise. As uncomfortable as this fact may be, it is one we must confront if we are to avoid totalitarianism. 
I've highlighted the evidence of this cabal in past episodes and will continue to do so in future ones. To understand how this deep, entangled web of evil developed, one need only follow the true history of families including the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the Warburgs, the Dulleses, the Bushes, the Cheneys, and the Clintons, as well as organizations including the World Revolutionary Movement, the Order of the Illuminati, the Bank of England, the Federal Reserve, the investment bank Brown Brothers Harriman, the law firm Sullivan and Cromwell, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, the World Economic Forum, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Number five, nonviolent non-cooperation with oppression should be universally advocated by those who believe in freedom from tyranny and equal rights. Anyone who advocates reform by violent means should not be trusted. Number six, those of us in Western democracies have been deceived into believing our economy operates under free market capitalism. It does not. Our economic system is better described as kleptocracy, a government whose corrupt leaders, kleptocrats, use political power to ex expropriate the wealth of the people and land they govern, typically by embezzling or misappropriating government funds at the expense of the wider population. In order to transition to a life economy rather than a death economy, we should consider an entirely new economic system that incorporates the following principles. A, a demand-based economy based on goods and services most beneficial to the people and the planet, rather than our current supply-based economy where funding goes to the development of products and services that benefit those who control the supply of capital. B, an economic system that eliminates the concept of debt entirely. Debt has been used over the past several millennia to enslave nations, with sovereign debt lent by organizations like the WTO, IMF, and World Bank, and to enslave individuals through student loans, credit card debt, and unreasonable mortgages impossible to repay. And C, a decentralized economic system with infinite currencies without the need for trusted third parties, so that we can avoid the ability of cartels to control the money supply and global reserve currencies as they do in our current economic paradigm. Number seven. Humans are intrinsic fields of health, creativity, and intelligence. The cabal has succeeded in our collective subjugation by suppressing our true natures and keeping us in a state of perpetual fear, war, unhealth, and distraction. By remembering who we truly are, we can end this cycle of oppression once and for all. Number eight, world peace is not only possible, but also imminent. The most likely pathway towards achieving this potentiality entails universal nuclear disarmament, dissolution of intelligence agencies and standing armies, and recognizing the power of group meditation for its influence of coherence and positivity in the social and natural environment. Number nine, my mission with the Entangled podcast is to represent independent thought, devotion to truth, and artistic freedom and expression. Censorship, increasingly rampant in our country under the guise of fear-inducing labels like medical misinformation, Russian disinformation, and hate speech, is anathema to all of these. This is exactly why free speech and the protection of civil liberties in general are so important today. That's not to say medical misinformation, disinformation, and hate speech don't exist, but rather that most of these lies come from the state and compromised outlets in the media, the same organizations we've been able to act as censors and arbiters of truth. This is an exceptionally dangerous situation, and it will continue to get worse until we recognize censorship for the evil it is. And number 10, this country was founded on the ideals of egalitarianism, natural law, and the right to free and fair elections. While our country has failed to live up to these principles for the past 250 years, collectively we can usher in a new system that finally does.